I love that song, and it's great to bless the Lord all our soul, right? Amen. It's great to worship him, and I thank the praise team for their leadership with that uh, once again. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, because we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13 as we talk about... Oh, children are dismissed to junior church first. You may go now. Um, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13 as we talk about knowing in heaven. Are we going to know everything in heaven? And, you know, I sat down after the, after the pastor prayer, and I thought about something else. I just read one of our evangelical friends' pastors shared this uh, testimony about the revival at Asbury. And, it, and it's interesting because it kind of is a, is a boots on the ground, like what is really going on? And so I want to read this. I meant to read it earlier. Um, this person writes, my prayer ministry shift began at 4 p.m. yesterday and ended at 2 a.m. That was his prayer ministry shift at Asbury University, praying with students there in their chapel. Ten hours that seemed but a moment. I can't fully explain what's happened with people I prayed with tonight. I just know God was there. So I'll just be a note taker and witness to miracles. A pastor's daughter, early 20s, struggling to make the faith her own. Tonight she did. A church planter from Belfast needing the power of God for the ministry ahead. An addict from Louisville. Louisville. You got to say it right. They have a certain way down there. Uh, Two days clean of fentanyl. He found deliverance tonight. That's awesome. A young college pastor is crippling with, with crippling lifelong pain and depression. Jesus met her powerfully. A national prayer movement leader from England, eager to bring coals of revival back across the pond. A young Chicagoan addicted to pornography, so desperate to be free. A young woman bound by shame because of a pornography addiction. Another young man addicted to pornography, needing deliverance before his marriage. A pastor from Florida, tired and discouraged. He received his own Psalm 23 moment from the great shepherd. Young siblings, brothers, and sisters who came for prayer. He was a believer. She was a skeptic. She encountered Jesus in a radical way. A California man who, in a dream 14 years ago, saw the lines of people and the doors wide open. He came to Wilmore in faith, so the lines and the doors in his dream was realized. A middle-aged father from Oklahoma, desperate for peace in the home and for his children, he wept and wept. An elderly woman, wheelchair-bound, and her husband, weeping on the floor at her feet. She wasn't healed, but her faith in God was strengthened. A lovely young college student from Virginia, who was gripped with a heart of intercession for her campus, Virginia Tech. Traveling for what seemed eternity, she found breakthrough with Jesus. This is a small portion of what happened in central Kentucky tonight. More miracles are happening nationwide as the Spirit of God pours out rains of renewal. And then they close with Isaiah 52.10, Maranatha, which means come, Lord Jesus, come. We need revival. Keep this in prayer and pray for the aftermath because God is engaging students and adults and many other people. And we always need to pray for the aftermath. America has a, has a special history of revivals. They're, they're special for America, uh, meaning we had the Great Awakening, which kind of came from England to America to the colonies. In 1740, Jonathan Edwards wrote about that. The Second Great Awakening, that's distinctive to America, and we need another one. The fields are ripe unto harvest. So keep that in prayer. And as I look out, I see Lucas is here with his mom, Anna Luisa, and we've been praying for Lucas. He has a, a broken leg and a, um, what is 
angulated ankle. So we want to keep you in prayer too. And I want to pray for you right now before we move on. Let's pray. Lord God, I just uh, continue to pray and pray for this revival to sweep across the country. And we pray for Lucas. He's been a lot of pain, a lot of pain. That's an understatement with this broken leg and agulated ankle. And we just pray, Lord God, for healing for Lucas. Here, even in his pain, he's here at worship with us, with his mother. And we lift them up and we thank you for them. Please bring a swift healing and take away the pain. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now back to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at, that's on page 902 in your pew Bible. So if you did not bring your own Bible and you want to use a pew Bible, page 902. By the way, if any of you are out there and you don't even have a, you don't have a Bible, let me know. Uh, let me know today. You could take home the pew Bible if you want. Nobody should leave here without a Bible. Um, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 here in just a moment. But But by way of introduction, today we talk about learning. Will we learn in heaven? Are we going to be omniscient? Are we going to know everything? Or will we continue to learn in heaven? Will we continue to learn in heaven? So as we we talk about learning in heaven, I I want to start with with something a little fun. It's a a QA. and a And it's, um, you don't have to answer. I'll give the answers. What, What is a math teacher's favorite sum? Summer. Uh, thank you, Megan. Who t- te- teachers who take class attendance are absent-minded. A teacher said, Craig, you know you can't sleep in my class. So Craig said, I know, but maybe if you were just a little quieter, I could. <laughs> Stressing the importance of a good vocabulary, the teacher told her young charges, use a word 10 times and it shall be yours for life. From somewhere in the back of the room came a small male voice chanting, Amanda, 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 Amanda. A pupil said, I don't think I deserved a zero on this test. The teacher said, I agree, but that's the lowest mark I could give you. (laughs) What do you call a teacher without students? Broke. Oh, wait, that's a regular teacher. That's what this thing said. Uh, Teacher, you copied Fred's exam paper, didn't you? The pupil said, how did you know? The teacher said, Fred's paper says, I don't know. And you have put, me neither. (laughs) The little boy wasn't getting good marks in school. One day he made the teacher quite surprised. He tapped her on the shoulder, tapped the teacher on her shoulder and said, I don't want to scare you, but my daddy says... If I don't get better grades, somebody is going to get a spanking. (laughs) Physics teacher. Isaac Newton was sitting under a tree when an apple fell on his head, and he discovered gravity. Isn't that wonderful? Student. Yes, sir. If he'd been sitting in class looking at books like us, he wouldn't have discovered anything. (laughs) So the question is, learning. Learning. How long are we supposed to learn? How long are we supposed to learn? I, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had a few favorite shows, and one was Knight Rider. Still, really cool show, really cool car, Knight Rider. And another was A Little House on the Prairie. It was on in the evenings. I'd watch it about farm life and stuff like that. And I remember the very first, one of the first episodes, a little Laura Ingalls is getting ready to start school. She doesn't want to go to school. She's happy at home. And she says to her mom, how long 
is this learning stuff supposed to take? And her mom laughed and said, we learn all of our lives. We never stop learning. We learn all of our lives. But do we learn in heaven? Or, we do, know, or do we know everything in heaven? I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, We may know of this as the great love chapter, and and it is the great love chapter. I mean, the Apostle Paul was having a good day when he penned this chapter, wasn't he? I mean, he was, it was uh, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was being, you know, really receptive to the Holy Spirit when he wrote this chapter. But, you know, it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Those are spiritual gifts, right? Paul started writing about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. He writes about love in 1 Corinthians 13, but context is really critical. A text, a Bible text without a context, is a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. So we have to put 1 Corinthians 13 in the context. It's not in the context of marriage. You can use it in the context of marriage. Don't bring it up in the middle of a fight. I mean, that's the best time to bring up Scripture, right, in the middle of an argument. But, you know, you can use it in the context of marriage, but that's not the context Paul put this this passage in. It's in the context of worship. And it's in the context of spiritual gifts. And it doesn't end at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 14 is about spiritual gifts, too. As I always emphasize, the chapters were not originally there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is just basically the the, uh, overview of spiritual gifts. He starts talking about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is the motivation of spiritual gifts. The motivation of spiritual gifts is love. It's not, I got this gift and you don't, so I'm a better Christian. No, the motivation of spiritual gifts is love. And then 1 Corinthians 14 is the practice, the practice of spiritual gifts. They all flow together. And right in this passage about spiritual gifts, love never ends. Love is unending. Prophecies, they'll pass away. When we get to heaven, you don't need prophecies anymore. You're there with the Lord. You're in heaven. You're in heaven with the Lord. As for this gift of tongues... It'll pass away as well. It'll cease. You don't need it. You're in heaven. You are with the Lord. It will cease. But then it also says, as for knowledge, it will pass away. I mean, if I just stop right there, that's kind of discouraging. I love learning things. Reading, studying, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, reading big, thick, long biographies. They're, they're really fascinating to me. I, I, 
Sit with me in a conversation. I'll bring up the biography about U.S. Grant that I went through uh, a couple years ago. It's over a thousand pages. I loved it. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's, it's fun to learn. All truth is God's truth. And, and one of the things I would criticize uh, a lot of Christians for and a lot of Americans for is we, we become so shallow in many ways. We don't dive in the details. We don't read beyond a tweet. We don't go deeper, and we need to. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of our brains. God gave us this brain, this ability to read and write, and that's a gift. So many people in the, in the world would love to have that gift. Uh, if, if somebody could fast forward from the 1950s and know that we would have this, this thing we call the internet where you can go and learn all types of information and we would just sit and watch cat videos, they would think, huh? You know, we, we have all this learning at our disposal. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And it would be discouraging if we thought knowledge is going to pass away. Well, I don't think that's what this text is saying. My theme is be encouraged. We will continue learning in heaven because we will continue having new things to learn. Also, our learning will not impair our ability to love. We will continue learning in heaven. We're going to have new things to learn and our learning will not impair our ability to love. So we, we're not going to be omniscient in heaven. I mean, that settles a lot of it, right? I mean, we're not going to be omniscient. We're not going to become God. Only God is omniscient. Only God knows everything. That's a, that's a, a major theological characteristic attribute of God is that he's omniscient. He knows everything. We're not going to know everything. We're not going to become God. That means there's two choices. Well, I guess three. One is we're not going to know anything because we're going to stop. We're, this says knowledge will be done away. The second is... We're going to become God, which we've just all agreed that we're not going to become God. We're not going to be omniscient. The third is, this must be talking about a spiritual gift of knowledge. Right? I mean, in context. Prophecies, they're going to pass away. Tongues, they will pass away. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So as we talk about this idea, we must understand that in heaven, we don't become God. Only God is omniscient. Omniscient means to know everything. So let's take an excursus into the idea of love in 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, I've already summarized this, so let me reiterate a little bit. We read about knowledge being done, done away with. What does that mean? It means a spiritual gift of knowledge or word of knowledge will be done away with. Why do we need the spiritual gift when we are with Jesus. Also, we must understand that the Corinthians elevated certain spiritual gifts above others. That's why the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, is writing 1 Corinthians 13 right here. Because they used spiritual gifts to exalt man and woman above others. They used it as a division. Uh, 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 the thesis of 1 Corinthians is chapter 1, I want to say, verses 13 through 14. And, and it's where Paul is exhorting them for unity because they're so divided. They're even being divided in worship. They're even being divided of, about spiritual gifts. They liked the showy gifts. They liked tongues as it was a showy gift. They must have liked knowledge as it was a showy gift. And I believe we still struggle with this today. But Paul is saying they, go, they will go away in heaven, at least in the sense of being spiritual gifts. We can't take this passage to mean that in heaven we know everything. What we can say is that, that, that still in heaven, 
love remains. In heaven, love will remain. Love is most important. Love carries on for all eternity. The spiritual gifts do not need to continue in heaven, but love will continue in heaven. Paul is not talking about natural human love. He is talking about love that only God can give. This is love that a human being can only express when he or she has been touched by God's grace and enabled by God's spirit. I was listening to a pastor many years ago, like 2011 or 12 on a mission trip, and and he said, when I became a Christian, I started to love people. He said, before I became a Christian, I didn't like people. But then after I became a Christian, I started to love people. God gives us this enablement, and, and, and it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but then also it's a spiritual gift. Love in this special way will continue in heaven. Though actually, I think that special way in heaven won't necessarily be the spiritual gift. This is going to be an attribute, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, evidence of, becoming, uh, evidence of being a Christian. When we are a Christian, the Holy Spirit changes us, right? Hopefully, we've all experienced that. So that hopefully, as soon as we say or think something unloving, the Holy Spirit's rebuking us right within our soul. And we're saying, oh, Lord, why did I say that? Why did I think that? Love. Christians have to be known by love. There's that hymn. Uh, They'll know us by our love. That love will continue in heaven. I like what the Life Application Study Bible says. Uh, It says, quote, when Paul wrote of knowing everything completely, just as God knows me completely, which it says a few verses later, He's referring to when we, when we must see Christ face to face. God gives believers spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts for their lives on earth in order to build up, serve, and strengthen fellow Christians. The spiritual gifts are for the church. Get that. The spiritual gifts are for the church. In eternity, we will be made perfect and complete and will be in the very presence of God. We will no longer need the spiritual gifts, so they will come to an end. Then we will have a full understanding and appreciation for one another as unique expressions of God's infinite creativity. We will use our differences as a reason to praise God. Based on that perspective, let us treat each other with the same love and unity that we will one day share. So this is really about love and unity, not about not learning anymore in heaven. No, we won't need the spiritual gift of knowledge and we'll, we'll have a different, a different type of knowledge, but we'll still learn. Of course, this may make us think about the spiritual gift of knowledge and what is that gift? I I, I like what one person or one group wrote about that spiritual gift of knowledge. The spiritual gift of knowledge is also known as the word of knowledge or, or utterance of knowledge. The Greek word for this gift is gnosis. Gnosis. It's spelled with a G, though, so, so it's spelled like it's gnosis, but it's, it's gnosis. And it simply means knowledge and understanding. The scriptural emphasis in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 is on the ability to speak this knowledge to others in a given situation. In the opening passage of 1 Corinthians, Paul spoke of knowledge and recognized that the highest form of knowledge among men is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The highest form of knowledge among men is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The testimony about Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. What we can conclude then is the gift of knowledge is an understanding of the things in this world and in our lives that is founded in the gospel and rooted in the scriptures. It's a special understanding founded in the gospel, rooted in the scriptures. This gift is closely related to the gift of wisdom. The gift of wisdom. 
The Holy Spirit gives this spiritual gift to some believers to bring about understanding and to inform the church or individual believers. The person with this gift is usually well-versed in the scriptures and often has much committed to memory. They can retain the truth and communicate it effectively at the appropriate times. The gift of knowledge allows a believer to relate the scriptures, and particularly the gospel of Jesus, to all aspects of life in this world. They can see how it connects to every situation and circumstance and how the reality and truth of the gospel is to inform every decision a Christian makes. That's the gift of knowledge. And let us remember that if you're here and you're a Christian, you have different spiritual gifts. This sermon series is about heaven. And this sermon is about how in heaven we're going to, we're not going to know everything. We're going to, we're going to continue to learn. And I'm going to continue to, to show that here in just a moment. But never forget that while you're here, until you are taken up to heaven, God has called you to a purpose. And the spiritual gifts are given to individual believers to benefit the church, the bride of Christ, to, to benefit the church, to benefit his kingdom. And, and if you're a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. Bill taught on spiritual gifts last year. I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you about the spiritual gifts. They're not just for you individually, though. They're for the benefit of the church. And just like I believe there's a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit at work at Asbury University. And, 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 and really, there's a movement of the Holy Spirit everywhere in the world right now. We're seeing a major movement at Asbury, and that's really cool. That happens from time to time. But every time you open the Word of God, every time you open the Bible, God is doing something. If you're reading and if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and if you're perceptive. So don't forget that. Be encouraged by that. So there's more we can say about this gift of the Holy Spirit, but let's talk more about heaven. In heaven, we will still learn. We simply will not need a spiritual gift of knowledge for this special knowledge that God gives. Additionally, as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul writes about how about heaven like a mirror. Corinth was known for their Corinthian bronze mirrors, but even the best mirrors were not a good reflection. Then Paul says, we will know fully. We will still learn in heaven. We're still going to learn. If you like learning, you can be excited about that. If you don't like learning, you need to know that learning in heaven will be different than learning here. You won't have the limitations. You won't have the struggle. Some of you might struggle with ADHD or dyslexia or reading difficulties or lack of education or many different things. In heaven, we're not going to have that. We will be learning in a whole different playing field. It's going to be totally awesome and amazing. You know, learning is not a consequence of sin, right? I mean, there are things that we face in this life that are a consequence of the fall or a consequence of sin. Learning is not one of them. Right? I mean, if there's a creation and God created a creation and put humans in it before the fall, before sin entered the world in Genesis 3. So learning is not a consequence of sin. And if there's creation, we get to study creation. That's all it is, really. We can study by reading. We can study by listening. For most of human history, people learned through listening more than reading because people could not read and they did not have books as much as we do and all those types of things. Sin in our fallen world may make it difficult to learn. Maybe our minds will work faster in heaven. Do you ever think about that? But there will probably be a learning process because we're not going to be all-knowing and we're not going to be all-powerful. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 shows angels don't know everything and they long to know more. 
Angels don't know everything and they learn, long to learn more. Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. Now this is really cool. Ephesians 2, 6 through 7 indicates that God will show us more knowledge in heaven. This is what it says. It says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, that's the future heavenly ages, new heaven and new earth. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is going to teach us more. God is going to show us more. We are going to learn more. And right there, what's that learning about? The gospel. We're going to learn more about God. We're going to learn more about God's goodness. We're going to learn more about God's grace. We're going to learn more about the gospel. And I think we're just going to be amazed by what God continues to teach us. Think of how much we will have to learn being in the new Jerusalem with the new Garden of Eden and dwelling with God. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we're going to be in the new heaven and new earth in this perfect creation and we'll be able to explore and learn and so much more. This, this image is coming to mind. I used to have tropical fish. I had lots of big fish tanks. I loved fish tanks. I still love them except for the work and the space and the money. Um, besides that, they're great. And, and I would put, you know, a l- little fish, uh, angel fish. They may be babies. They get big, though. And I put them in a 55-gallon aquarium. And, and when you first put them in, they're little tiny fish. And they just are exploring and roaming around and, 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 and learning and having fun. It looks like they're having fun at all. I mean, it looks like it. Maybe they want to escape. Maybe it's fine. Nemo, but they, they're having, and, and that'll be us in new heaven and new earth. We're going to be restored, resurrected bodies, and it's going to be so marvelous. I think we're going to want to study it. We're going to want to learn. Think of how much fun we can have to learn being with the prophets of the Old Testament. Have you ever think about things like that? Being with the prophets of the Old Testament. Think of how much we have to learn being with your great, great, great grandfather and grandmother or other ancestors. Think of how much we can learn about each other when we do not have sin in the way impairing our thinking. Do you ever think about that? We will be able to learn more about each other because we will not have sin in the way impairing our thinking. A lot of wives will say that their husbands don't listen to them. I've never heard my wife say anything about that. Um, <laughs> Sin is impairing sin is impairing our thinking. Sin is impairing our judgment. Sin is impairing our conversations, right? Sin is impairing our ability to learn from one another. I have to say, I learned that one from Jerry Seinfeld. It's not, it's not me. But it, and we will really be able to learn more about one another because we won't have sin impairing that judgment. And that's really, really, really gonna be awesome. Think about it. Without learning, it could be quite boring for us. As we were created to purpose and learning and purpose go together. Learning and purpose go together. And we were created to have purpose and we will still have purpose in the new heaven and new earth. We will still have purpose. We will still do things. We're going to worship God, but think about it. Revelation 21 and 22, there's a city. There's a garden. There's a vineyard. There's descriptions of houses. We've talked about that every single week of this study. We've talked about these different things in the new heaven and new earth, which means we're going to have purpose. And learning and purpose go together. Imagine studying history next to a historian or people or the people themselves. I love Revolutionary War history. And I don't know if George Washington's in heaven. I don't know if Patrick Henry's in heaven. But if they are, I think it'd be really neat to talk to these people in heaven, talk to these people themselves. Wouldn't that just be really awesome? Imagine studying music with, with, with Bach, 
or with Handel, who you know, wrote Handel's Messiah. Scene even, even talks about God kind of laying that on his heart. God even giving him that purpose, writing Handel's Messiah. Imagine talking with him them, himself. And it wouldn't be fun if we weren't able to learn. I mean, it wouldn't be fun. How many, how many times we sit down in a conversation and somebody starts telling us about something and we're just waiting for them to get the end because we're just being respectful, but we're like, yeah, I already know that. 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 We're not... It's a little boring if we know everything. We're not going to be omniscient. We're going to have new things to learn. And God's going to give us the ability to learn these things. Maybe you love to hunt or fish or play sports. I know there will be new techniques to learn. Maybe you love old cars or machines. I know there will be more to study. The scriptures talk about books in heaven. The scriptures talk about scrolls in heaven. So it seems that they will remain. Most of all, though, love remains. We can learn without needing a spiritual gift. We can learn and love at the same time. And I think we need to remember that. The learning and the love will go hand in hand. They will go together. So that as we learn about people, we are gonna be better active listeners. I always remember this Jordan Peterson video. He's a, he's a psychologist and he said, people are fascinating. People are fascinating. And, if, and, and, and he said, if you're talking to another human being and you're just bored with the conversation, you're not doing it right because people are fascinating. And I think that's so true as we learn and as we engage love as we learn. Martin Luther, the reformer said, if God had all the answers in his right hand, all the answers, and the struggle to reach those answers in his left. So in God's right hand, he has all the answers. And if God had in his left hand the struggle to reach those answers, the struggle to learn, to read, to study, to, to, to memorize, Luther said, I would choose God's left hand. He would choose to struggle for those answers. Why? Because it's not only truth we want. It's the pleasure of learning the truth. And I think that is so true. We are continuing to paint a picture of heaven. Next week, I'm gonna complete the picture with some summary. I'm gonna answer about 10 or so questions that you've submitted, and I hope it gives you a fuller picture. And I know for some of you, you think uh, this sermon is boring, the whole series is boring. For some of you, you may not like it all. For some of you, like the one about pets, you don't like the one about learning or something, I don't know. Everybody's different, but the goal is to fit it together, to weave it together, to weave it together like a picture. So that when you talk about heaven, when you're at somebody's grave, when you're going through somebody's a loved one's death, or maybe even when you contemplate your own death, you can think more about heaven because we don't think about heaven enough. I really do believe that. Part of Christian meditation, I believe, which should go alongside our daily devotions, is meditating on our death. Another pastor I know mentioned to me the app. It's called Examine, and it goes back to something 600 years ago, and it gives you different questions to contemplate in your devotion time. It even has little music in the background. Isn't that cool? And, or you could get a waterfall, whatever you want. But anyways, one of the questions is contemplating, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do different today? I know, it's like a cliche question maybe. And then it gives like six or eight probing questions. What would we do? How do we feel? One thing's for sure. If you are in Christ... If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have nothing to fear when it comes to death. It's a non-factor. You have nothing to fear and everything to look forward to. 
You have nothing to fear and everything to look forward to. We win when God heals us of a disease or sickness. And we win when God takes us to heaven to be with God. And as I paint the picture of heaven, which I think the scripture's doing, there is so much more we could go into about this. There is so much more. And we could talk about those one-on-one or I could refer you to books. But as I paint the picture, hopefully it can help you know a little bit more about how awesome and physical and tangible and real heaven is. Heaven really is. Something's going on back here. I don't know what it is, but um, it's it's the monitors. Demons live in church equipment. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So listen, you have nothing to fear when it comes to death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much how your word tells us more about heaven and more about our eternal state, our eternal life in you. Lord God, you are awesome. And we know that you are awesome. We know that you are awesome. And Lord God, I pray that you would encourage our members and attendees of Bethel Friends today, encourage us of the truth, of the truth. You have prepared for us a place, as John 14 says. You have prepared for us a place, a place in heaven, a place of joy, a place of peace, a place of excitement, a place of work, a place of learning, a place of worship, of worship, and a place of so much more. We thank you. Lord Jesus, if anyone is gathered here today and, and, and they're unsure, they don't know you as Lord and Savior, or they've strayed from you, And when I talk about the Christian having nothing to fear when it comes to death, if there's anyone here who thinks I have something to fear or I don't know Christ, I pray the Holy Spirit convict them. They would talk to me. They would talk to one of the people, those praying at the altars at the end of the service, and they would turn to you, repent of their sins, confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as the one and only Savior, believe that you died on the cross for their sins and rose again, trusting in you and committing to you. Because in believing and trusting in you, we are saved. You are the way, the truth, and the life you said in John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except by you. And of course, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, which is a trust, shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. Lord God, if there's anyone here who needs to believe, needs to repent, believe, which I believe includes committing and trusting. May that happen today. We're never promised tomorrow. Holy Spirit, we work in all of our hearts, on all of our souls, really, as we paint this picture of heaven, that we can be encouraged in our faith. We can be encouraged about our loved ones who have, who have, who have, who have died but knew you as Lord and Savior, that we can have a greater understanding of what your word tells us about their eternal state, in our future eternal state. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the gospel. We worship you as we close. In Jesus' name, amen.